Well, good morning. Good morning, Alive. It's uh, great to be here. It's great to be a part of uh, your body of believers, your congregation. I'm looking forward to doing that. So just let me welcome everyone in. It's great to have you with us. Also, let me welcome, make sure I get this right. We got our, our campus ministries, Pelzer, uh, Pleasant View, and Mount Moriah. So great to have you guys worshiping uh, with us as well, as well as our online uh, viewers as well. They're worshiping as, as well. So welcome, everyone. I appreciate uh, the video there introducing me. Let me introduce you to my family just real quick. Now, they're not here. We're still in transition, uh, but I have a picture of them. Uh, this is my family here. It's my daughter's graduation last year, and there on the far uh, left there, uh, uh, on the far right, is my wife, Kelsey. We've been married for about 30 years, for about, we've been married for 30 years. Don't tell her I said that now. 30 years, and as you can see, we have three beautiful girls. Uh, the girl in the middle, she just graduated high school last year. Her name's Brooke, and she's going up to Indiana Wesleyan University the end of next month. And um, my middle child, Emily, next to Kelsey, she uh, has a uh, graduating with a degree in biology from Indiana Wesleyan, and she finishes up in December. She's got one semester left. And my oldest, uh, next to me there, that's Kayla Beth, and she is uh, graduated from college. She's living outside of D.C. She's actually moving to uh, Chicago area. You guys can pray for me on that. Right? Uh, uh, but we're excited and we're uh, proud of them. The Lord has blessed us. This is uh, another picture of us right here. I, I thought this may be foreshadowed. This is our family. We're actually at the Clemson Bowl game. Clemson, Iowa State, right? I, right? I, that was back in January and we had no idea that this was even on the horizon. So maybe that's just a little foreshadowing of something uh, uh, to come there. But we're excited. I'm, I'm so honored to... Uh, to be their father, to be my wife's husband, and they love the Lord, and I'm just I'm anxious for you to get to meet them. And now you know just a little bit about me. I would love to get to know a little bit about you. And I know uh, uh, we got people watching and worshiping with us uh, online, but I just want to kind of just put a little question out there, a little questionnaire, a little kind of get the gauge of the room. Just got a little question for you. I just want to know, just by raise of hand, how many of you would say, I don't mind change. I embrace change. I got an adventuresome spirit. I'm a spontaneous person. Whatever the day may hold. A few of you, a few of you here, okay. Like, you, you're okay with it. You're like, let's just go with the flow, whatever happens. How many of you hate the people who don't mind change? Just, you know, no, how many of you, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. How many of you would say, I don't like change? Don't, don't mess my rhythm up. Don't mess my routine up. Don't change anything. I, I got a particular order. I, I like, yeah, that's my people. My people. We, we don't like change too much. We don't deal with change too well. Like we, we, we get kind of out of sorts when, when the things that we're used to kind of get shaken. And yet I find myself, my wife and I, in a season of some serious change, some, some transitioning happening in our lives, right? It's just, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. We, we sold our house up in North Carolina. We bought a new home. We're going to be living in Liberty, and we're grateful for that, but that's a big change. It's a big change. We left a beautiful church uh, where the Lord just blessed us up in North Carolina for six years to come to be part of this beautiful church, and that's great, and we're following God's little, but that's change. It's transitioning. I, I got kids graduating from high school, graduating from college, moving from D.C. To, to Chicago. A lot of transition in my life. A lot of things are happening in our lives that's, that's changing. And to be honest with you, sometimes on the inside, I'm just kind of panicking a little bit. Like I'm freaking out just a little bit because I like to kind of be in control of those things. And we, we just don't like change. And I, I don't know about you, maybe you're discovering this, but it seems the older you get, the faster things change. Am I right? Like it just, it doesn't take long 
to look around you too and see how fast this world is changing. Like this, this world is changing so rapidly we can hardly keep up. The culture is shifting so rapidly. It, it's, it's hard to keep up. And it seems like the older we get the, and the, 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 the more things advance, it, things change so often and so quickly. The culture is shifting rapidly. We, and, and we are faced with a dilemma. We're faced with delivering a, a, a dilemma that, that we're, we're living in a culture that is sh- uh, shifting rapidly. And it seems like it's moving further and further away from God. Right? I mean, we, we see this. We notice this, how, how it's just moving further and further away from God. And the challenge is this, that we are left to here to live and try to navigate our way through those transitions. And oftentimes, it's that navigation that causes the tension. It causes the challenges. It causes the, the angst and the stress and the anxiety. And basically, it comes down to this. Here's a question for the day. How do you live godly in an ungodly world? This, this world that just seems to be moving further and further away from how God created it to be. And yet here I am. How do I live godly? How do I remain faithful to a God? And how do I have influence in the right way in this world that just seems to be changing so quickly? Hey, by the way, we don't like change. Well, today's guest, guest we're going to look at some characters in the Bible Man, they're going to give us a really good picture of, of what it looks like to, to not only believe in God, but to love God, to trust God, and to be committed to God, even in the midst of an ungodly culture. And not only are they committed to God, and not only do they love God, not only are they faithful to God, but they would have influence in that ungodly culture, even to the point of it costing their lives. Our next guests are four young lads from the Middle East. I like to refer to them as the original Fab Four. <laughs> you may know him as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they're responsible for some of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, you know. And you can read all about them in the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is chock full of some of these just most fascinating, some of these most crazy stories, right? You got Daniel in the lion's den, like we know that, right? We got the 90-foot tall statue that the king erected to, so, so everyone would worship him. You got the fiery furnace that the three young boys were thrown into. You, you got the finger writing on the wall. You remember that story? The finger comes floating in his hand, and the finger writes uh, the, the future on the wall right there. There's a story about a king, king who, who loses his mind. And, and, and next thing you know, they find him out in the field uh, grazing, eating grass like he was a cow. Some of the greatest, some of the craziest, some of the most fascinating stories are found in the book of Daniel. But what's interesting about the book of Daniel is the, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, it's all uh, historical. It's these historical stories. And then the next six chapters of the book of Daniel, it's all prophecy. There'd be these crazy dreams, and God would bless Daniel to interpret these dreams, and it would speak to the things that were going to happen to this current generation. And and so you have the book of Daniel, and it's both historical and it's both uh, prophetic. And I believe that's Holy Spirit-inspired so that we would look at this historical as prophecy. What, what, What does that mean? That means that these are more than just fascinating stories. These are just more than just Sunday school all-star stories that we get to read about. No, no, these stories will actually speak to the very things that every generation will face that will follow. 
And in them, we can find wisdom and we can find insight to help us navigate through some of the touchiest times as it relates to the culture. And during the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Israel has decided that they don't want to trust God. They've decided we don't need God. We don't want to follow God's way. And so God was like, yeah, okay, you don't want to follow me. You don't want to trust me. You don't want to uh, uh, live to my, uh, my commandments and, 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 and uh, obey my way. Okay, fine. Let's see how you do on your own. And he leaves them there. He removes his blessing. He removes his favor. And he kind of leaves them vulnerable. And this is exactly what happened. The Bible calls it the Babylonian exile. Babylon, in their vulnerability, Israel's vulnerability, comes in and attacks them. And that's where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Let me read it to you. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came into Jerusalem and besieged it. And by the way, this would take 70 years, 70 years of, of this captivity. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands and along, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. So not only did he come in and defeat the city, not only did he come in and destroy the city and, and take captive uh, the Hebrew children for 70 years, he went into the temple of God and he took the articles. And he said, oh, no, I want these for my own temple, right? I want these. He carried them off to the God of, uh, in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief official of the courts, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family of nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. I want the best of the best. I want the best looking, and I want the physically fit, and I want the smartest people. And we're not going to put them out in the field. There's no hard labor for these guys. No, no, we want to bring them into the king's palace. They're going to serve the king. But before that happens, we're going to indoctrinate them. We've got to change the way they think. We've got to change what they believe to be true about themselves. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine to eat from the king's table. Now this would be problematic right from the jump. Because these Hebrew children had strict dietary laws, Jewish laws, about what they could eat and what they could not eat. And they were not allowed to eat what the king was going to give them to eat. And they would be trained for three years. How many years, church? Three, three years of this indoctrination, right? And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among them were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, those names may sound a little weird to you. Like, who are they? That's their Hebrew names. And there's something significant about to take place. Put a pen in that. We're going to circle back to that in just a minute. But what we're seeing here, what we're reading here, is we're seeing here that the influence of the culture can have on any given generation at any point in time. And it's important that we recognize this. That when we read this, because if we don't understand what's taking place, if we don't understand from these stories what's going around from us, uh, around us, the culture will have its way with us as well. Because what we mentioned earlier, the culture shifts really, really quick. And if you've been alive for any period of time, then you understand how things can change. And what once was, was unheard of, now all of a sudden becomes common and accepted. I, a couple of months ago, I was reading an article, 25 most shocking moments in TV history. 
I thought, well, this would be interesting. 25 most shocking moments uh, in, in TV history. And so as I was reading this article, it actually went back to what it deemed to be the first most shocking moment in TV history. I thought this would be interesting. What, what would it consider to be the, most, the first most shocking moment in TV history? And it went back 65 years to a show called Leave It to Beaver. Anybody? I, I lost half the room here. Right? <laughs> 65 years ago. This show, the first episode of this show, Leave it to Beater, this show about two kids growing up in suburbia America, getting on all kinds of hijinks. The very first episode was shocking, was, was, was one of the most shocking moments up to that point. It was unheard of what they did in this particular episode and had a lot of controversy. And really what it came down to is the two boys were in the bathroom brushing their teeth and it was the first time that it was shown on TV a toilet. Right? In the, in the back of the room, it wasn't, didn't even show the whole toilet. It was just like a corner of the toilet, and it was most controversial. It was it was shocking moment. This is the first shocking moment in TV. Oh, have we come a long ways, right? I mean, it's, it's shifted quite uh, far from those days, and we just need to understand how the culture shifts. We need to understand what's happening around us because if we're not paying attention, we can get swept up. We can get caught up in that moment, and we need to understand this. And the reason being is because God has called us to be difference makers. And if we're not living differently, how can we make a difference? He said, well, well, I don't know if I signed up for that, Pastor. I don't know if I'm going to be a difference maker. No, no, that's what God's plan is for you. He's called us to make a difference. He's called us to be salt of the earth. He's called us to be light in the darkness. He's called us to be ambassadors. Like we're the spokespeople for God's kingdom. Like he's called us to be his witnesses. This is part of God's plan for your life. However, we just need to understand that this world has an agenda for your life as well. And it will try to conform you. It will try to shape you. It will try to get you to move into the realm of what's common and what's acceptable according to its desires and its purpose. And this is exactly what's happening to the four Hebrew children. Look how this plays out. We'll go back to it, picking it up in verse 7. It says, the chief official, that's Ashpenaz, he gave them new names. We want to circle back to this idea, right? Now, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. If you're not taking notes, you need to write this down. This is important. This is the first thing the culture will, will try to do to you. In fact, let me make it even more personal. It's the first thing that your spiritual enemy, the Bible says we have a spiritual enemy. Let me get even more uh, detailed on this. The first thing that the devil will try to do is put a name on you that's not the name that God has for you. To put a label on you that's not what God intended for you to be. That's the first thing that they would do. He changed their names. And the devil will try to do that to you as well. The truth of the matter is there's something that you believe about yourself today. There's something you've bought into that you believe about yourself. And so the question I have for you today is, are you going to believe what the world would have you believe about you? Like what the world thinks you need to be? Or are you going to believe what God believes about you? He changed their names. To Daniel, he gave him the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. To Ezra, to Ezra, Abednego. Here's the first thing you need to understand. Trying to live godly in an ungodly world. The world will try to conform you to its mold. It would, it would try to get you caught up in its, in, in its culture. That's the goal of culture. And in doing so, what it does is it robs you 
of whom God created you to be. The worldly way we're trying to get you to believe something about you that's just not true. It's an all-out assault on God's given identity and God's given design that he has for you. My name is Scott Sion, S-I-O-N. I know it's weird. Scott Sion Simmons. That's the name my mama gave me, right? That's the identity that I had. When I was growing up, and the culture that I grew up in tried to define me, it tried to label me. I grew up in an abusive situation. My father was abusive. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he was just, just a, not a good guy. And finally, my mom got, got brave enough to leave him. And when she left him, well, it left us broke in more ways than one. We were, grew up poor. We, had no, uh, we didn't have a lot. And, and the, in the relationship of my father to my mom, I saw that. It affected the way I lived. It, it, it bothered me, right? I had anger and, and, and bitterness in my life because of that. And the relationship my father to me, well, I had low self-esteem. I had no confidence, didn't believe in myself, didn't think I'd ever amount to anything. That's the, the label that the culture was putting on me. But praise God, I met Jesus. He gave me a new name. In church, you need to know this. God has a redemptive name for you. He has a, a redemptive name for you. That's why I love this church, and I just saw it on the scroll, the four Ds. Like, if you're not involved in some of that, the reason is is because you need to discover who you are in Christ Jesus. That he's developed you and, and labeled you a certain way. And that's what that four Ds, it started last week, it's going on today, it's going to come back around. And just want to get you involved in that so you can begin to understand why. Because the world will conform you to its mold. Here's my response, though. I need to know who God created me to be. Don't let this world tell you who you are. You are who God says you are. Regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance, you need to be resolved to trust his design and his identity that he has for you. And this is exactly what the, what the Hebrew children did. Let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading verse 8. And I love the language. By the way, if we're going to look at this historical as prophetic, like it's going to speak to us, watch this language. Let it speak to you and perhaps your own situation. But Daniel resolved to himself. I love this. Right? He didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. He didn't stand on the street corner and preach how everything, everybody's going to hell because they're all doing wrong things, this, that, and the other. He just said, no, you know what? I got some things about me that I just can't compromise. There's some truths about me that I just cannot let go of, that I just cannot get rid of. He, he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And then he asked, again, notice the language here. Then he asked the chief of the officials for permission not to defile himself. Just, just notice the courtesy here. Like he's, literally, he's literally going to kill him with kindness. He's like, listen, there's a way that you're living. There's a standard that you're living. I just don't believe in that for myself, and I just can't compromise my own, uh, uh, my own standards. Why is this important? Because when the culture shifts, it will try to get you to compromise your standards. The Apostle Paul knows this in the New Testament. He would come and speak to this to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, this world has a way about it. This world has a system. This world is it's like a current that just keeps moving. And he says, listen, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't get caught up in the world's way. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I believe Paul understands that this is a hard ask. 
Like I believe Paul understands this is, a, this is a tall order in the culture that we live. So he gives us this promise. He reminds us of this great truth. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what God has for you. I just want to be really, really clear. Listen, God has a way, and that way never changes. That's important. Why? Because the culture always changes. And as soon as you put your identity, as soon as you put your self-worth, as soon as you grab hold of a thought or philosophy of the culture, it changes. It just shifts. It just moves. You think you got it. You think you're out of place. You think you understand it, and boom, it's gone. God never changes. And that's good news because he's for you, not against you. He wants to bless you. He wants his favor to rest upon you. He has good, uh, uh, his will is good, perfect, and pleasing for you. Paul would come back in Ephesians and get even more details. Listen to what he would say in Ephesians. For we are God's handiwork. God took his time making you, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. He's got something for you to do. He's got a purpose for you to do. I think a lot of times we gloss over the second part of this verse. And when we do, we miss something beautiful. There's a beautiful principle that, there that, that, that's, 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 that, that's listed there. He says, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You understand the significance of that? Like God didn't just create you and then just say, oh, what am I going to do with this one? I made this one short. Hmm, let me see. No. He had something for you to do. He had a purpose and then he created you around that identity. That's a beautiful thought. So Daniel goes to, to the chief official and he asks him, he says, listen, I, I, there's just some things that I can't, I, gotta be, I, I can't make these compromises. I can't make these changes. And the, and the Ashpenaz was like, well, I understand your plight. But listen, if the king sees you mount the church, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? If the king sees you looking hungry, how about that? <laughs> He's going to come after me. He's not going to come after you. He's going to have my head. And so listen to what Daniel's approach is. And again, notice the approach. Notice the initiative because of Daniel's faith. Verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, please test your servant for 10 days. Let me give you just a little bit of a biblical insight if you don't know this. Whenever you see 10, the number 10 in the Bible, it's always in relation to a test. Ten Commandments. It's a test of your, our, our faith in God, right? The, the tithe, it's a test. Ten percent of your income, a uh, uh, test of, of, of your income over God, of God's provision for your life. The disciples had to wait ten days for the day of Pentecost after Jesus had left and waiting on him to see if he's going to deliver what he had promised to deliver. You can go to the book of Revelation, the church of Smyrna, had to be, they were persecuted for 10 days. I just, I just want you to understand that, that there's, a, there's always a test. Here's the second thing you need to know about living godly in an ungodly world. Your faith will create tension in this world. Like you're, you, you're going to be faced with a challenge because of your faith. Your, your faith is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, you understand. There's going to be a test. So Daniel says, just test us for 10 days. Listen to what he says. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Oh, Lord, ain't that a test, right? I can't have sweet tea. I can't have Chick-fil-A. That's the Christian chicken, right? I can eat that. That's We're good on the chicken, right? No, no. It says vegetables and water. You know, that's going to be a test. There's always going to be a test. But here's something you need to understand. 
in those moments of testing, in, when the culture shifts and, and you find yourself challenged and, and tested, those oftentimes become the most defining moments of your spiritual journey. Where you, where you get resolute in your attitude, where you get resolute in your spirit and you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to listen to this. I will not compromise my beliefs. You say, well, how is that even possible? I don't know how to do that. I've tried that before. It just doesn't seem to work. Listen, your faith will always create tension with the world. What's your response? You've got to keep your eyes on the prize. Here's something that's amazing about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They remain faithful to God, not because he would deliver them, and he would, he could. Not because he could deliver them, he's God. He could certainly do that, but because they recognized him as God and they trusted his way over their way. They had no assurance. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, but he, he delivered him from the uh, lion's den and he delivered them out of the fiery furnace. But they had no assurance going on, uh, going uh, before they went into those elements. And let me remind you of this. After the lion's den and after the fiery furnace, they had favor with the king, and the king praised God because of their faith, but they went back to slavery. I mean, they left lions then in the fiery furnace and went back to being held in captive for 70 years, yet they would remain faithful to God, and they would have influence in that culture. You say, well, how is that even possible? Because they kept their eyes on the prize. In, in other words, it was all in their approach to God. It's how they view God. Listen, God didn't have what they needed. God was what they needed. In the same way, Jesus doesn't have what we need. Jesus is what we need. We should note the difference. Let me show it to you in their stories. In Daniel chapter 3, of course, they erect this statue and, and they, they put out this, this new law. You have to bow down and worship this statue. And if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And so that went out. And, of course, that happened. And the three boys decided we're not going to do this. Listen to this. Verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, listen to the language. We do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, well, he's able to deliver us. He's able to do it. Maybe. I don't know. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. We know that to be true. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Daniel would have the same track, right? Daniel, a couple years later, new king, King Darius is now in, in effect, and they actually trapped Daniel again, and they said, listen, anyone being caught praying to anyone other than the king will be thrown into the lion's den. And when Daniel heard this decree, look at his response, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, when Daniel learned of the decree that had been published, he went to his home, upstairs room, where the window opened towards Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. They were keeping their eyes on the prize, on God. Why is this so important? This is so important because in moments of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion. You're default to your conditioning. 
Like you, you think oh, well, when the heat's on, when the culture shifts and I got them faced with that I'll rise. No, no, you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your conditioning. And that's exactly what happened with the Hebrew boys. When faced with the most difficult challenges, they did what they had always done. They would never waver. They never faltered. They, they were focused on the prize. And by the way, what is the prize? The prize is not the fact that God would rescue them. The prize was God's presence. And that's where they found their peace. That's how they were resolute. That's how they remained godly in an ungodly culture. So we, we, we think peace is the absence of problems. We, we think, well, when everything settles down and we get back to normal, when I have no issues and I get my kids figured out, when my finances get to, we think peace is the absence of problems. No, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of our problems. Knowing that he is right there with us. Jesus would put it this way in John 16. He said, listen, I've told you these things so that you would have what? Peace. Why why do I need peace, Jesus? Because in this world you're going to have trouble. This world is shifting. And the culture is changing. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's good news this morning, church. What does that mean? That means that Jesus paid the price. Jesus went to the cross. And for all of those who would come after him, for all of those who who would desire to follow after him, now it's different because Jesus paid the way. He's the one who overcome the world. In other words, listen, Christianity is not the victory that we win. It's the victory that we inherit Christianity, the victory is not anything that we have to fight for. We do not have to defend ourselves in this matter. Why? Because I already got the victory. It's mine to receive. It's mine to take hold of. Now listen. Bring this thing to a close here this morning. God knows what you're facing. He's well aware of the brokenness all around you. So don't panic because God doesn't panic. He never looks at your life and he never wonders, how am I going to work this for the good? So don't be discouraged. God knows just how he's going to use that thing that makes you afraid to build your faith. He's not surprised by the troubles that you face and he certainly has no intention of leaving you all alone. He is right there with you. He will redeem all of those situations. Back to the stories, we close this thing out. At the end of the 10 days, verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men. I'm telling you, God's way is better, but you won't know it until you try it fully, until you, until you go after it with everything that you have. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature for learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. How do you live godly in an ungodly world? God's going to give you that wisdom. He'll give you that direction. He'll give you that guidance. 
And his way is better. Listen to this. At the end of the time set by the king to bring into, this, uh, into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about what the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the chanters in the uh, whole kingdom. I'm just here to tell you this morning that God's way is better. You got to know who you, who God created you to be. And how do you do that? You keep your eyes on that prize, understanding that he is with you at all times. Let me pray for you as we close out. Father, thank you for this fascinating story. Lord, I pray that it would speak to us in this generation today. We are living in a day and age where the times are changing quickly. And Lord, I know people who are worshiping with us online, people who are here in this auditorium, there's lots of things going on in our world right now, in our personal world as well. This world would love to have its way with us, but Lord, God, I just pray that we would know who you created us to be and that your redemptive name would be upon us. And Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you and know that your presence is what's going to bring us peace so that we can live godly in an ungodly world. We ask this in Jesus' name.